When David uses the term heavy hand, he's talking about God drawing near to press upon David to show David that God is still in control. When God puts his hand on you, he's letting you know he's still in control. You find yourself caught in sin. How do you respond? How do you handle it? If you're like most, the desire to repent is there, but the fear of going before the Lord, seeking that repentance, often finds ourselves in a dilemma, a dilemma that should lead to deliverance, as we'll see today on the Way of Grace. Welcome to the broadcast from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Let's catch up with Pastor Jessica Stand here in the 32nd Psalm and the 5th Psalm as we take a look at David's response to his sin and the forgiveness of that sin and how you and I should respond as well. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. You and I understand that we have in this rhythm of life dilemmas, don't we? You and I understand that every day is not good. You and I understand that some days we wake up on the right side of life, and then some days we wake up on the wrong side of life. Is that true? Right. I love the word dilemma. It it simply means we are in a twix. Uh, But often we are in that twix because of something we did. But sometimes it's not because of what we did. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. David is in a dilemma in point number two. And point number two gives us verse three, of which in our Wednesday study, we call this a season of madness. Do you know the saints can go mad sometime? Do you know that? All right, so I want you to, I want you to take this, this principle, a season of madness, and think about the last time you went crazy. Say with me, say with me, because this is what David did. This is what he did. In our culture, we call it wilding out. That's, that's why the young people call it. Now what y'all call it, wilding out. Pastor, I was just wilding out. We're in council. Pastor, I was wilding out. Call it whatever you want to. It was a season of madness because you are functioning contrary to your calling. And you are acting like God doesn't exist. And you are denying what God did for you to bring you out of darkness into the first place. And now you're acting like it never happened. And you're walling out. Now what's more interesting and important about this is sometimes this is a season. Y'all know how long a season can be? A season is quick when everything's going well. A season is long when it's not. When we are in that dark space, that problematic space, that troublesome space when carnality dominates our life. When we're just thinking wrong, just bent the wrong way, and we know that we are not right, we're in a season of madness. Now, here's how David describes that season of madness. First and foremost, we have subpoint A, because he says in verse 3 these words, when I kept silence, you see it? Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have afforded the history and backdrop to our text. If you didn't, wouldn't it be strange for David to be dancing in verse 1, and then in verse 3 says, when I kept silence. Why? Because the whole narrative has changed. 
What has it done? It's gone back to the premise upon which David now is dancing. And what David wants you to know right now is David did something wrong when he got in trouble, and he wants you to understand that wrong. Now, you know it, but you need to hear it. David kept silent when he entered into that season of madness because David thought in his keeping silent, it would just go away. Right, so we're talking about the forgiveness of sins, and I'm wanting you to understand that for God to forgive you of, his sin, of your sins does not mean that God lets you get away with it. In fact, if I could really put this into your heart, forgiveness of sins is a necessary framework for how God relates to you. God will not relate to you and I under the assumption that we can be negligent about the forgiveness of sins. And so here David is, he's done something horrible. Do you know what he has done? He has taken his throne and arrogated it to himself, assuming that he's on the throne by his own power, by his own wit, by his own might. See, the songs started getting to David. Saul has slain his, ten th- his thousands. David his what? Ten thousands. And I told you a year ago that record was on the chart as number one for a whole year. It started getting to David's head. And David started thinking that he could do whatever he wanted because David was the king. Now, saints, don't we wake up sometime doing that? Don't we wake up sometime like David asserting that I'm blessed, 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 and therefore I can make a mess simply because I'm blessed. Is that true? It's totally true. And when you make a mess because you don't honor the forgiveness of sins and its mechanism and its process and its purpose and aim, one of the natural defaults you engage in is keeping silent to see what God will or will not do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you are silent like that, you are actually waging war against God. So I want, to, I want to make this come home as we begin to unpack this. God is about relationship. And you and I can't play God. We can't pimp God. We can't control God. We can't manipulate God. We can't tell God by how we act that I can do whatever I want to because I'm an object of your grace. I'm already forgiven. And therefore, God, you know, you're advantaged to have me on your side. God will show you he don't need you in a hot second. However, I want to share something with you. Just like all horizontal relationships require communication, just like all horizontal relationships require what? Communication. God is a communicating God. He talks to us, and he wants us to talk back. And whenever in our relationships we, we get um, averse to one another, guess what we start doing? Keeping silent. See, once offense takes place in the relationship, somebody stops talking. Is that right? Raise your hand if you're in the house with me. Somebody stops talking, right? And we know something is wrong when somebody stops talking, right? Now watch this. It's bad when both parties stop talking. So what God did was not talk to David for a whole year. Since David didn't want to talk to him, for a whole year. And what David wants us to understand is you can't do that because you're asking for trouble since God has loved you enough to look upon you in Christ, grace you, redeem you, justify you, reconcile you, and establish a context of relationship on the basis of forgiveness. He's going to get you to talk. 
He's going to get you to talk. So under point number one, sub point A, the silence of sin, what? Separating the soul. That's Isaiah chapter 59, verses one through three. Your sins have separated between you and God. And believer, child of God, do understand this. When you and I let our sin rule, it puts a wall between us and God. And we know it because the graces of God begin to diminish in our life. Let me share with you what it sounds like when the silence of sin begins to separate your soul. This is what it sounds like. Are you ready? No joyful sound coming to you or from you. No joyful sound. Here's what it sounds like when the silence of sin is separating the soul. No encouragement coming to you or from you. When sin separates the soul, you not only do not hear the joyful sound, you do not hear encouragement. There's no zealous words of grace coming to you or from you. In other words, the silence of sin is the silence of God's goodness, mercy, grace in your life being heard by you and being heard from you to others. When we're happy in Christ, when our walk with God is right, don't we let people know? Right. But when it's not right, guess what? Your mouth becomes dumb. No joyful sound. No encouraging word. No words of grace. No words of kindness. No words of uh, wisdom. No words of knowledge. No words of truth coming from you or coming to you at all. You are in a place of utter silence. Watch this. No prayer. No confession. No calling on God. No vital Christianity. For all intents and purposes, when you are in that season of madness, are you ready? You are an atheist. You're an atheist. You don't seek God. You don't read his word. You don't pray. You don't call upon him. You don't petition him. You don't fellowship with the saints. You don't think God's thoughts after him. Oh, yes, you're like Adam and Eve. You're hiding from his voice. You're hiding from his voice among the trees, putting on fig leaves, right? You can hear his voice calling you, where are you? But in that averse state of a season of madness, for whatever crazy reason, you act like God doesn't exist. Isn't that what David did? For a whole year after committing sin with Bathsheba, David's soul began to dry up. And David says in our text, when I kept silence, what? My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. See it in verse 3? When I kept my mouth shut, when I stopped talking to God, when I did no longer went into the presence of God, when I tried to hide from God, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. And to appreciate the language here, you have to now understand that David is talking about a deep psychological and physiological impact on him because of a broken relationship with God. See, see, what I love about David is David took God seriously about relationship. Now, when you love somebody and they begin to draw away from you, don't you get concerned? And when you love somebody the way we're called to love God, where God is our life, God is the source of our strength. God is the root of our existence. God is the grounds of our being. God himself is the moisture of our soul. When we get cut off from God by our sins, don't we feel it? Don't we feel it? David's feeling it. 
When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. What is he describing about the roaring? In his conscience, he knows he's not right because he's disconnected from the vine. He's in a season of madness. No fruit being born, not even leaves. And he describes this more fully in verse 4 like this, of which now I want to develop. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my moisture turned into the what? Drought of summer. That's the picture of a tree drying up from the roots. A tree drying up from the roots. What David was saying, as long as I had not understood the importance and value of the process of the forgiveness of sins and did not operate in accordance with my side of the responsibility before God, I dried up. I know that I'm talking about somebody in the house today. And it's really only because you have not honored the forgiveness of sins. And what sin, forgiveness of sins is designed to do for you and me who are still by nature sinners. And so David's going to teach us a lesson. David is going to teach us you can go a long time disconnected from God. You can go a long time dry. You can go a long time with your conscience roaring. And the only thing you can do is continue in that mad season of getting high and drinking and, and partying and, and distracting yourself among the trees of noise to drown out God's voice. That's what people do. And this is what David did himself for a whole year. He says that his bones began to dry up. Subpoint B, the emotional and psychological consequences of what I am calling spiritual sickness. David talked about it a lot, didn't he? Psalm 6 verse 1 through three. I want you to see this. Is it possible that a believer in a condition of backsliding or waywardness can become so spiritually depleted that he or she is emotionally and physiologically sick? Is that possible? Listen to what David says in verses one through four of Psalm six. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, neither chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am what? O Lord, heal me, for my bones are what? Same language, isn't it? Now notice what he says. My soul is sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? You know what David is doing now? He's smarting from having separated from God. And then assuming that God was going to come along and start restoring him from his emotional and physiological distress. But what David had to learn was, in order for restoration to occur, God has to press his hands down heavy upon you to get your attention. Which brings me to my next point. What I love about what David said in verse uh, uh, 3 of, uh, of our text, Psalm 42, pull that back up. He said, God's heavy hand was upon him. You see it? First, I kept silent, and my silence impacted me. And then he says in verse 4, but eventually my bones started roaring, and I became troubled internally. And then he attributes it to this, for day and what? Your hand was what? All right, let's talk about how God shows up when he wants to discipline you. Here comes the hand, 
And it's the hand of God that God uses all through Scripture. And when I began to examine this, I learned something about the way God works with his people and the way God works with lost sinners. When David uses the term heavy hand, he's talking about God drawing near to press upon David to show David that God is still in control. When God puts his hand on you, he's letting you know he's still in control. See, when God takes his hand off, you and I can for a moment deceive ourselves and think we're free to do whatever we want. But when God puts his hand on you, guess what he lets you know? You're not in control. I am. And when he puts his hand on you, now he's about to move in areas that I think you would agree. Providence. He's getting ready to move in areas of breaking down your circumstances of depleting your resources. God's heavy hand now is upon you prophetically where you're hearing words of admonition and correction from a distance and you know it's God, but you haven't yielded yet. You know what God is doing? God is showing you in his love that even though you are hardening your heart, hardening your heart won't stop God from breaking you. Stay with me. I want to show you the analogy of this because I thought this was so uncanny. Now, God is the God of all flesh, is he not? God runs the world. He created the world. All nations were made by him. Every king, every ruler, every monarch is God's monarch, saved or not. Isn't that right? David is using language about how God dealt with Pharaoh. When God had told Moses and Aaron, go tell Pharaoh to let my son go. And Pharaoh was an obstacle to the freedom of God's people. And what God said is, now, Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh is not going to let my people go. No, not easily. I'm going to have to stretch my hand out and lay my hands upon him seriously before he lets them go. And I want you to see the pattern and process of the laying on of hands of God designed to bring a man or a woman to the place where they must be in order to experience the forgiveness of sins. Only three verses that I want you to uh, discover with me. Go with me now in your Bible to Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. Exodus 8, 19 is the first place that I want us to look. And this is where God begins to deal with Pharaoh in the letting of his people go as God tells Pharaoh to let them go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord <laughs> that I should let him go? And, uh, and God says, I'm getting ready to show you. <laughs> so we read in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, where the magicians begin to describe that God is the one actually doing this. This is Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. Are we there? I'm going to start at verse 16, and notice what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out your rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in men and in beasts. All of the dust of the land became lice throughout all of Egypt. Now watch this. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not... So there was lice upon men and beasts. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, what? This is the finger of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, God put his finger on the nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh looked and saw the suffering of the people. And you know what he did? He hardened his heart. Look at the next verse. Do you see it? Or the latter part of the verse. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not hearken to them as the Lord said. Do you see it? This is a merciless ruler, isn't it? 
His people are being destroyed by judgments. And what is his heart doing? Hardening itself. The magicians call this the finger of God. Now, God's going to ramp it up a little bit. Go to chapter 9, verse 3, and notice what it says. In chapter 9, verse 3, we have this language. Chapter 9, verse 3 says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon your cattle, which is in the field, and upon the horses and the asses and the camels and the oxen and the sheep, and there be a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel, the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is of the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall bring this thing to pass. And we see over in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, And to Aaron, take you now a handful of ashes. What is God doing? Destroying and smashing the gods of Egypt, pressing down heavy upon Pharaoh to harden his heart until Pharaoh breaks. While we read in chapter 9, these same words in chapter 9, verse 15. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. For now, God says, I will stretch out my hand that I might smite the people with pestilence, and you shall be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause, I raise you up to show my power in you. This is God talking about Pharaoh. And that my name might be declared through all the earth as you exalted yourself against my people, that you would not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as had not been in Egypt since the foundation of the world. Amazing. Look at verse 23. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail, fire mingled with hail, very grievous, such as was none like in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Now notice what it says in verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen where the children were, whereas there no what? In other words, God was judging Egypt and protecting his people. Is that right? But his people was learning the nature and character of God against sin. I want to show you now verse 27. And Pharaoh, here it is. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said, watch this now. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are what? What has God gotten Pharaoh to do? Acknowledge his wickedness. Acknowledge his sin. Admit and confess that he opposed the true and the living God. You see what God's heavy hand is designed to do? You see what his heavy hand is designed to do? Now, if God can do that to a nation, can he do that to a person? Are y'all with me so far? Watch this now. I want to show you something about this. This gives us insight into the nature of God. Do you know what God did? God let the plague go. God took his hand off the plague simply because Pharaoh confessed his sin. Do you know that? God relieved Pharaoh of the judgment. Now, what God is teaching his people is he forgives sin when once we what? Confess our sin. When we acknowledge our rebellion against him. Well, time permits us to go no further. You have been listening to Way of Grace, the daily radio ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, featuring our teacher and pastor, Pastor Jessica Stand. It is our prayer as we come to you daily on this broadcast that you're growing in grace, that you're growing in your love and adoration of Jesus Christ. That's the goal and the intent here at Way of Grace, that we might understand the amazing love of God in Christ. 
If you would like to obtain a copy of today's program, you've got a couple of ways you can do that. CDs are $5. Simply call or write to us and we'll send one to you. Or if you're internet savvy, simply stop by our website and you can download the audio file in MP3 version and that one's free. Grace-Bible.com is our website. That's Grace-Bible.com. And again, If you're willing to write to us or contact us by phone, if you would like the CD, simply do so at 510-886-9782. Again, that phone number is 510-886-9782. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street. That's here in Hayward. The zip code, 94541. And again, remember, the CD is $5, or simply stop by grace-bible.com and download the MP3 version for free. We would also invite you to join us for worship here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Sunday services are at 11 a.m., Sunday schools at 10 a.m. And don't forget, from a variety of churches and from all over the Bay Area, we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word Friday evenings here at Grace Bible Church at 8 p.m. For the directions and the details, simply go to our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or call 510-886-9782. Also, as the Lord leads, we're able to come to you here on KFAX in part through your financial and prayerful involvement with this ministry. Now, while it's free for you to listen to, it does incur a cost on our end, and we look to the Lord for his gracious provision. And if you'd like to participate in that, then please do get a hold of us. Any donation, no matter how big or small, is greatly appreciated here at Way of Grace. 510-886-9782 is our phone number. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Jesus sent me away.